You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now? A practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the spirits to be with us. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who lived well and died well, those who paid attention in their lives, those who met the challenges of their time in a good way, and those who remembered that we are not the point. We are simply part of all life. So I call out to those ancestors, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. I call out to those ancestors who carry that lineage into the lives of the living that we might learn from those who have gone before us. And of course, for that to happen, we have to be willing to open, to listen, and to learn. We ask these ancestors to meet us here in present time, that we might do what we are here to do with their support, with their guidance, and that we might learn and not have to repeat exactly the same mistakes over again in our own new way. I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today and to hold us well and help us to do what we are called to do. And with the ancestral energy gathered round, we call out to the helping spirits, the spirits of the land and the great spirits of the land to all gather around us here today to hold us well as we turn our awareness in to ourselves, to our head, and somewhere in our head or above it we grab on to our own conscious awareness and draw it down from our head to our heart and from our heart to our belly and from our belly down to the earth. And we take a moment with our spiritual, our energetic hand touching the earth Take a moment and imagine you can even smell it, feel it in your fingers, maybe under your feet. And take a moment and reach out to the earth and give thanks. Thanks for this day. Thanks for all that has come together in your life that has brought you to this moment. For all that is, for all that will be. We give thanks for the great beauty, for the challenges in life, for the great diversity in life. And we take just a moment touching the earth in this way, in our gratitude from our heart. And take a moment of awe to just connect with the fact of life, which is a true and profound miracle. And with our great gratitude to the earth and the wonder of her dreaming that has brought life as we experience to the face of this beautiful planet, we reach down, down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude radiate out as we go, reaching all the way down to the very, very center of the earth. And in the very center of the earth, let us take a moment to feel this energy, this energy of stillness and darkness, this energy of peace, this energy of essential restoration of all of this potential energy not yet in form. 
And so we touch this earth energy, we give thanks to it, and we draw this energy up, up into our life, through all the layers of the earth, up into our day, up into our bodies, up into these proceedings. We call these energies up into our life, and we ask in this way to be guided in understanding how to actually choose to be grounded, how to connect, how to create a sense of place in our life, not only the place that we live, not only the community we live in, but the place that we each stand as an individual. We ask the energy of the earth to help us to stand up for what we believe is right and true, what has heart and meaning. We ask the energy of the earth to help us to build our sense of home and belonging from this place. And may that place always be open to the other who has so much to bring to us to learn about those aspects of ourselves we cannot see or hear or feel. So we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to continue to expand our sense of inner connection, our connection with our world, our connection with each other, our connection with life, our connection with the invisible world and with our own spirit help. We call out to the earth to help us to go from connection to understanding interconnection and ultimately the oneness of all things. And may we take from that moment of oneness, that sense of our place in this great web of life, may we take our sense of right relationship with ourself and move out from there into right relationship with all living things. So with this place to stand and great gratitude in the earth, let us stand here and send our energy up from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our minds, out the top of our heads, into the sky above and whatever weather it holds for you in this day, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, name it, know it as you know it, see yourself in it and it within you. Know your place in the divine and its place within you. Know that you are one with this energy and call it down. Drawing into your life, drawing into your body, drawing into this day, all of the wonders from above. Those energies that are the essential energies of blessing, the energies of protection, but also the energies of generosity and devotion. The energy of inspiration and illumination, that which guides us on the path. It is not just about knowing where we stand, but it's how do we walk that walk in the world. And we call these energies down from above to bless us in that walk, to protect us on that walk, and to guide us in that along the way of that walk that we must walk in this life. And so we call the energies from above down into our heads, our hearts, our hearts to our bellies and send them all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we become this place that there is a merging of heaven and earth, earth and sky, connected here within us. And we ask the dance of these two energies to awaken the spirit of our heart. Awaken our hearts its true and unique nature to be the great crucible of transformation that lives within each human being. And we call out to the energy of the heart to open up, to awaken, to be this place of transformation and draw up the fiery raw material of the passionate reasons that you are here. To draw that up from your lower chakras and to draw down the crystal clarity of your mind that can look out into your world and see the time that you are in. When draw these two energies together and let them mix and merge and dance in such a way that they give birth to a third and ever so sacred thing, and that is the knowing of your own soul's true purpose. 
And may you find in your human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring that purpose into manifestation, to bring your gifts into the world, to bring your clarity forward. Do something to help to make why you are here more real in the world. And for all the spirit help that we have in doing that, we give great thanks for all those energies gathered round the earth below, the sky above, and the heart here that helps us understand how to flow and to work with all these things. For all of this, we give great thanks. And I give thanks to those of you who have been able to donate financially to the show to help me to keep the show on the air and to keep it free, to keep it advertising free, to keep it available to anyone who can get on the internet. You can find the archives of the show at whyshamanismnow.com. You can find them at cocreatornetwork.com. You can find them at iTunes. You can find the interview shows at the Society of Shamanic Practitioners site. They're all over for anyone who can find them. And I give great thanks to those of you that can help me to continue to make that happen. So I give thanks to Nate. I give thanks to Florence and Judith and Chelsea and all of the listeners who have been able to donate financially. I am grateful to you. If this show moves you in any way, know you've been moved in the heart. And this is the essence of shamanism, is to allow the motivations in your heart that are right and true to be the motivation of your action in the world. And so do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. And if you cannot donate financially, you can certainly bring things into your journey circles, live them in your own life, challenge me with questions you have about the teachings, bring up your questions and bring up your show ideas. Do something to help the show to spread. The other thing to do is link it out there in the cyberspace world. You're all better at that than I am. And I ask you all just to do something to help the show to grow. For those of you that do want to offer financially, perhaps it's the first time, understand that I am not necessarily looking for that one person that wants to give me $5,000, but I'm looking for a 1,000 people who are willing to give five. And so I give thanks to all of you for the small donations as well as the large donations because they do add up. You can go to whyshamanism.com. Uh, click on the support button, donate any amount, large or small. And some of you have been discovering that in your own PayPal account, you can set up your own monthly payments to Why Shamanism Now. And if you have any questions about that, um, you can email me. I'll probably forward you to Andrea. But as you know, if you don't want to do any of this over the internet or you want to contact me with questions, you can reach me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So we are live here today as we continue with Why Are We Afraid to Live Well, Part 2. So if you'd like to call in, if you have a question about today's show topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me, christina at lastmasscenter.org. So thanks, everybody. So here we go um, in Part 2 from last week's show. So two weeks ago... We did a show about why are we afraid to die because so many people are actually afraid to die. 
And I encourage you in that show to really look for your fear of death. A lot of people think they aren't afraid until they get there. And then they realize they're actually terrified. And to explore that passage before you're there, before you're at that moment, so that you can cultivate in this life not a fear of death, but an actual relationship with death as an ally. And um, have that um, spirit help support you in living in a good way so that you're not afraid to go when it's your time. But the whole issue of being afraid to die begs the question of being afraid to live because anyone who is truly living well actually isn't afraid to die because there is this paradoxical feeling that rises up from living well, which is oddly enough, today is a good day to die because you feel in that day filled by the exchange of energy that comes from doing what you've come here to do the best that you can in that day. And it's an odd paradoxical relationship, this relationship between life or death. And maybe it's not odd at all. It's just this illusion of antagonistic duality and separation that is so um, current in the Western world, in the Western mind, the Western education, Western religion, Western everything, that, that keeps us from recognizing this very natural relationship between life or death. So last week we talked about why are we so afraid to live well? Because people are afraid. For most people, the fears cultivated, the template of fears cultivated in your childhood still limit your life as an adult, even though the, the valid reason for your fear in childhood, which was your dependency on other people, is now gone. You're a grown-up. You made it. You're alive. You're listening to this show, so I know you're kicking. You're living and breathing and kicking. So you made it. So there's no valid reason for those childhood fears any longer. They were valid at the time. They're not valid now. And yet that template of fears, fear of death, fear that no one will love me, um, and all of these essential versions of fear of abandonment, fear of being banished, fear of annihilation, fear of death, fear of not being loved. There's all of these versions on these fundamental themes. And we allow our fear around these things to construct a bubble a cage really around ourselves that keep us from living fully and living well. And it makes us very afraid. We're literally afraid to live well. It's kind of bizarre. Now, I haven't really talked about what I mean by living well because I'm assuming after listening to this show for however long you have, you sort of get what I mean about living well. Living well is not about making a lot of money, being famous, being the best at what you do. Living well is about doing what you believe has heart and meaning and because of that living without anxiety because you know that what you're doing matters to you and that you have cultivated a kind of maturity such that what matters to you is not selfish. It's not like a kid who just wants what they want right now, which is not a problem when you're a kid. It's a problem when you're a grown-up. That as an adult, we need to transition from needing love to needing to give love, needing to connect, needing to express our true self in the world. And so this is what living well is about. It's having an outlet for your love in your life. It's having an outlet for your true expression in your life. It's for spending most of the hours of the day in your life doing something that has meaning for you so that you know The time you spent in this day consuming the resources of this beautiful world were well spent, that they matter to you, not to others necessarily, but to you, that you understand you touched others, 
you understand that what you have done matters to your heart. This is all very tricky because the mind is a complex place. So anyway, that's what we started talking about last week. And I'm just going to continue on. So last week as we explored this, uh, the first thing that I talked about in beginning to to confront your fear of living well is that you had to change your wanting. And this is very much more important even perhaps than it sounded last week. You have to want living a life that has meaning and purpose, living in a life that does not create anxiety in your heart, living a life that does not shred, trash the health of your body, living a life in which you are being energetically responsible. These, this is a life that has heart and meaning. And so I shared an example of my own experience of realizing at a particular point in time in my life that I no longer wanted, I no longer cared that much. I no longer wanted to be the A student, the good lover, the beloved child that my parents were proud of, that all of these things that had motivated my learning in life. It's not that those were bad motivations in my younger life, but I realized as a young adult that those motivations in a sense had been realized and they no longer mattered. They either were no longer valid or they had been realized and thus no longer mattered. And that what was important was to change my wanting so that what I wanted was to know why I was here. And so from there, and that's a very careful place you have to be because you have to be careful what you ask for when you start to change your wanting, right? And so what I asked for at that time in my life was to know my purpose. I wanted to know why I was here and I changed my wanting. I wanted to know why I was here more then I wanted all of these other things I had wanted throughout my life. And, and many of those things were the person I'd created that survived, the person that I created that knew how to go out, get a good job, earn money, pay my bills, and succeed in a cultural consensus reality format. It's not that I don't make money and pay my bills. It's that that no longer became the driving wanting in my life. So I wanted to live my soul's purpose in, allowed me that, in a way that allowed me to be a successful citizen or a, a responsible citizen in my world. You see, so it's changing the focus of the wanting. And I talked about how at that time I carried with me this quote from Alva Simon, death is only one of many ways to lose your life. The dangers of not doing what you perceive as your destiny are greater than anything else. And I think this is critically important to understand that death is actually not the worst thing that could happen to you. And this is part of the gift of of a belief in reincarnation is that you realize death is not the worst thing that could happen to you, that, that death happens and it happens in every lifetime and you come back and you do another life and that it in and of itself is not the worst thing. The worst thing that can happen is to waste a whole life. So the worst thing that can happen is not doing what you perceive of as your destiny. So then we moved on in this conversation and we talked about the four things. We sort of looked at my the experience that changed my life from uh, 
worrying constantly, very serious about things and worrying constantly to a place where I could live each day and know each day was a good day to die. And that I talked about how all that changed was me, not my life. And so what had changed in me? And that's what we talked about last week. And we talked about the first part was accepting um, that, that I had to accept that the best that I could offer was actually failing to meet the needs of my heart in this life and that I was willing to let that self fail. And this is something people really are afraid to do, to let that door close, to be in the unknown. I actually spent um, a very, very goal-driven person, always have been. And I've, I always had a goal through childhood. And I actually spent, before this period of time in my life, an entire year in my life aimlessly, which was extreme. I know some people live that way. I get it. I know. But for people that are really goal-driven, that's a really terrifying thing to do. So I encourage you, if you are very goal-driven, to be aimless. And if you're aimless all the time, Pick a goal and drive towards it. You know, it'll scare the crap out of you, but it'll help you begin to bring yourself into balance. So anyway, being with the unknown, really being with the unknown periodically is a good thing to do. So, so this, this self dies off. I let it fail. I accept that it's failed and I let it go. I have no idea what else to be. So I simply, you know, hang out, have coffee with the unknown, make it a familiar and allow the new doors to open. You have to give the universe time. You can't just expect this door closed, the next one opened immediately. Because for most of us, we leave a foot stuck in the door. And the, these were the journeys that we talked about. Is to journey to find out where have you got a foot stuck in an old door that needs to be allowed to close. Because the new doors will not open in your life until those old doors closed. So that was one kind of set of journeys we talked about. But we also talked about the brass balls journey. And this is the kind of journey that gives you answers you most likely do not want. I mean, if you really do the journey and are open to answers you don't want, it's a whole bushel of stuff you don't really want to deal with. But now you've got it and you can deal with it. And that's the beauty of it. And so the journey was to um, ask the helping spirits to show you all the places you're failing to live a life of meaning. And really, really acknowledge, I mean, they were so politically correct that we're politically correcting ourselves out of facing our destiny. And we don't, we're not willing uh, in our political correctness to look at an aspect of our life and go, you know what, I'm really failing here. Not because I think I'm worthless and so I'm failing at everything, but I mean literally discerning accurately, this is failing to get me to where I want to go. I need to close this door and open this one. So anyway, moving right along, because we talked about this last week. Then we talked about forging a truly intimate relationship with spirit, which is a really great thing to spend your time doing while you're kind of hanging out in the unknown, not exactly knowing what direction you're going in. Because that relationship with spirit will then begin to help to nudge you in the right direction. Um, So the important thing is to let the person that's emerging Forge a true relationship with spirit and then to feed that relationship, tend that relationship, use that relationship, meaning ask for help, interpret the help, act on the help. And so that's the dynamic kind of number two, the challenge for how we shift ourselves into a place where we're living in such a way that we are not afraid 
of living well. So then the third challenge, uh, I started kind of running out of time, but we were talking about teasing out your understanding of you, the I, when you think of I, who are you thinking of? Who's the I? The, the personality, which is kind of more like an outer, outer person, an outer expression of the I. And then the man or woman you've learned to be and may have wrestled with. So, they, so there may be acceptance, there may be rebellion going on around this template that you've constructed from all this free information you've received from your family, from your experience in school, from your experience perhaps living in different places in the world, from your experience uh, in, in whatever religion you were raised in, from your experience not being raised in religion, from this culture, from media, from the stories that have been burned into your brain through watching television and movies, that these things all contribute to us crafting together an idea of what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman and how do I deal with the fact that I don't fit this story of man or woman and so what I talked about is how important it is to tease those three aspects of yourself apart because for most people the sense of the I who I when I say I who who am I feeling who am I talking about and your personality, and this program of being a man or a woman, these three things are all completely uh, forming, all twisted in on themselves. Um, I planted these carrots this year too close together, and they grew all twisted around each other, and they actually look like little Kama Sutra carrots. It's pretty funny, but I think about these carrots all the time when I'm talking about the way things that are too close together grow all twisted around each other like a great puzzle piece and it gets to the point where there's no way to get these carrots apart you know it seems like there's no way to tease these aspects of yourself apart but you must you absolutely must and this is part of the reason we need a relationship with spirit because sometimes we can't tease these things apart without the particular kind of insight that helping spirits offer us so the important thing was to to be able to tease these energies apart and then to allow the story of man or woman, or the dreaming, the, the whatever this, this, this programming is that you've taken on that shapes or directs your sense of what it means to be a man or a woman, to allow that energy to go as a template for who you should be, just to allow that energy to go to a great thing for you to toss into your winter solstice fire or summer solstice fire for those of you in the southern hemisphere. But anyway, great thing to just let go of and allow yourself to have your sense of what it means to be who you are, how your biology fits into that, how your gender expression fits into that, meaning who you want to be in your world, in your culture, and who you're attracted to fits into that. To let that emerge authentically and organically from your, from your center without this outside-in programming coming down. So part of all of that was understanding that there can be an I, there can be your personality, and there can be this role. And um, 
the simplest way to begin to sort that out for me, I mean, the way I did it, blessings on Phyllis Pay, was to learn this energy clearing practice that is an intuitive energy clearing practice that I teach, I practice myself, but I also teach. It's a core teaching in the cycle teachings, but I also teach it as an individual class. And I commented that the next time that class is being offered is in Rowe, Massachusetts in January. And you can register through the Rowe Center online website. Okay, but moving right along. So we offer journeys to new journeyers um, because your helping spirits are really good at helping you tease these things out, the eye and the personality and the programming for male or female, man or woman. Because... That mess is already present. The entanglement is already present. And your helping spirits are really good about helping you be very accurate about what is already manifest. So even really new journeyers can actually get good information asking about how to untangle these three aspects of yourself. And then for advanced journeyers, I offered the possibility of working with the pool of true reflection. Now, this, this, this requires a relationship with death. But we've been talking about having a relationship with death since January, for those of you that have been listening. And so I'm hoping some of you either had that already or have been cultivating it. And if you can uh, cultivate a relationship with death as an ally and trust death to guide you, death can guide you to the void. And prior to entering the void, death can show you where the pool of true reflection is. And then you can work with the pool of true reflection to see what's real in this sense of I and your personality and your... Uh, sort of male-female story you're telling yourself. So anyway, we talked about all these things, and it kind of rolled up to this idea that as you begin to question what has been, question your fear of living well, and begin to risk actually living well in a way that has meaning for you, that suits your intelligence and your heart uh, wisdom and and is aligned with your own health and well-being and is energetically sound in your life, not requiring you to, to have no boundaries or have excessive boundaries or any of the many codependent crazy things that we do culturally. That, that if you do all this, then we develop a particular kind of attitude that isn't circumscribed anymore by this template of fears that we learned to navigate as a child, that it isn't about maintaining the peace at all cost of the truth. It's no longer about sacrificing your relationship with your soul so that others aren't upset. That harmony is no longer important if the status quo you're trying to keep harmonious is sick in and of itself. That we begin to see beyond the childhood fears of needing peace and harmony. And again, as a child, these are valid. But as an adult, we need to see beyond this template of fears that circumscribe us in present time as an adult. And so part of this is gaining a new attitude that isn't about pussyfooting along inside this small space circumscribed by these fears, but beginning to understand um, that life is risk, that living a safe life is not actually going to nourish your heart. Not that you shouldn't protect what matters to your heart, but living a safe life and protecting what your heart wants to create are two entirely different things. 
and they will lead to two entirely different lives. And so there are many excellent uh, quotes out there you can carry around if this is the place you really need to remember and work. And actually a lot of them are from people like Helen Keller, people who had great hardship to overcome in their lives and just risked everything to be able to manifest what they needed what was authentic and true for them in their life. Now, I happened to pick an ad because one of the things about life insurance ads is sometimes they, they are um, really inspiring. And so this one was from a fireman's fund ad that said, life is a rush into the unknown. You can duck down and hope nothing hits you, or you can stand up as tall as you can, show life your teeth and say, dish it up, baby, and don't be stingy with the jalapenos. It's a great quote and good to have around something like this that reminds you risk living, risk the life you truly want to live now before it's too late. So then we got to the fourth challenge and then totally ran out of time. So the fourth challenge is along this path of living fearlessly. The fourth challenge is about learning to listen to your soul. And reforging a trusting relationship between the two of you, meaning you, the I, the I person, and your soul. And this is actually the trickiest bit of this whole project of living fearlessly, living well, that I've been talking about between these two shows. It is another place that can be deeply impacted through our shamanic skills. And I would have to say I would not remotely be... Uh, where I am on my path today in in being able to realize this, if it weren't for shamanic skills, I wouldn't know, well, I wouldn't know my head from a lump on the ground. But anyway, my point is the trickiness of this relationship between yourself and your soul is our own misunderstanding about soul. We have this kind of odd self-centered assumption that we make And that odd self-centered assumption is that things that we ignore and deny and belittle and um, denigrate year after year are actually going to want to talk to us when we finally decide it's time to talk to them. And your soul is no different than all the other energies in your life, which is if you've been ignoring and belittling and denying an energy long enough, frankly, it doesn't really want to talk to you. And your soul is no different. That part of touching into your soul and communicating with it is recognizing, depending on how you've been in your life, you may need to reforge a trusting relationship so that your soul will actually communicate with you freely and fully. And there's kind of two sides to this, two extremes. There are those people that are just driven by what they believe is intuitive and spirit information and they're all over the place. And there's the people that shut down and don't listen. So there's excess and there's scarcity around listening to your soul. Neither one of those is listening to your soul. Now it's obvious in the person that's shut down and not listening, the scarcity person, why the soul would be a little grumpy. 
But a lot of people don't understand that when you live an energetically expensive life, you've got porous boundaries, you're in codependent relationships with a lot of things, you're not clearing your childhood patterns, so your wounded child is frankly driving the bus, and there's just all of this energy going all over the place, it's almost like your soul can't risk giving you any information because it's like pouring water on sand, that you can't hold on to it. And the problem is in that context, you being the context, who's an energetic mass all over the place, in that context, your soul's messages will be taken, will be interpreted inaccurately. And so this, the tricky bit of learning to communicate with your soul and reforging that relationship is the recognition that having a meaningful, uh, two-way, ongoing, everyday kind of dialogue with your soul, which is, of course, the reason you're here, your soul, right? To have that kind of relationship requires balance. You need to cultivate a kind of internal balance. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you need to move out of either of these excesses for the soul to really be able to communicate with you again. So how do we, so, so how? That, that's just kind of a basic context for communicating with the soul for those of you that are in these excessive places. But for most people, you're kind of right in the middle, this big 50% in the middle, right? And the question is how? How, Christina, how do I cultivate this relationship with my soul, particularly if I've been ignoring that voice within myself for the last 30 years? Or 20 years or 10 years. So, the most important thing to remember as you begin to want to relate to your soul is that your soul has been here before. You have not. And your soul is tired of making the same human mistakes lifetime after lifetime. And so, in many ways, it's like coming to a helping spirit with the right attitude You need to come to your soul with the right attitude. Your mind is not wiser than your soul. It can balance your checkbook faster. But it is not wiser than your soul. Your soul has been here before and it knows what it's talking about. So so let's let's move into this shamanic solution for this relationship with your soul that is old and has been here before and you haven't and you are potentially being annoying to your own soul because you're doing the same things you did a gajillion other lifetimes and your soul's bored with you. Okay, so what do you do about that? Okay, so let's talk a little minute here about a particular kind of journey. We've actually brought it up before. And this is, um, came up um, with Betsy Bergstrom in a journey she shared about journeying to your true self. And so the idea here behind this type of journey is that you can journey to aspects of yourself that you don't actually remember. See, memory is a really tricky thing. And, and memory and issues of memory have a lot to do with reality and perceived reality. So we live ensconced in our memories of the past. And memories are notoriously unreliable. 
and our memories are somewhat skewed um, towards the things that remain unresolved because they kind of continue to provoke our awareness. And then if they're too deeply unresolved, then we shut down and forget them entirely. So this whole memory thing, what we, what we perceive of as our history is a very tricky thing. It's not actually 100% factual, but it is partly factual. So the important thing to understand is you can journey back to a moment in your life that you had, but that you don't remember. Because you don't remember it because of a bunch of other things happened. So for example, if I had a moment when I was a young child, about three years old, I start to have a little freedom, I get to move around, I get to be outside, I feel the energy moving, having a particularly magnificent day and I'm starting to understand myself in this um, connected, co-creating relationship with the world around me, with nature, plants, the weather, maybe other kids, maybe not. Maybe it's just me and, and, and the world. And I'm starting to actually feel myself as this co-creating entity in this amazing world I've been born into. And it's totally, unbelievably awe-inspiring. And I'm recognizing myself as a being of power And I'm so excited to go show this awareness to my people, to my parents. And I come blasting, cooking on all four burners, radiating this amazing energy, understanding entirely how I fit into the world. Because make no mistake, every child has this moment. So here I am, I'm big, I am connected in. I actually in this moment understand absolutely how everything works. And the challenge here is that I am huge. And I come blasting into the life of some parent who's barely keeping it together, barely remembering to get the milk and get the dinner on the table and make enough money at work, work, you know, each parent working a job, who's taking care of the kids, kids raising, you know, the chaos of an actual family. And so my memory of this moment when I know I am one with all things, I am part of this great, great mechanism of life happening. There's the physical world, and the dreaming world. I'm, I'm aware of all of this and I get it. And then I don't remember this. Because the next thing that happens is I get yelled at because I'm being too loud in the house. And maybe I do something else and my sibling punches me because I'm being annoying. And all I'm trying to do is express this thing I cannot express to somebody that I love. And all I'm getting met with is the response from people about how they can't deal with how big I am in this moment because they're just dealing with everyday life. So I'm going to remember all those other things that happened and completely forget that moment of that great oneness. Now, the important thing about memory, though, is just because I don't remember it doesn't mean I didn't have it. Now, of course, the flip side is also true. Just because you remember it doesn't mean you actually did have it. And that is the trickiness of memory. But we're sticking with the other side. Just because you don't remember it doesn't mean you didn't have it. 
So if you want to rebuild your relationship with your soul, what we want to do is to connect back to moments in your life that you did have but you don't remember when you were close to your soul. And so it's a particular type of journey where you're going to journey in to meet an aspect of yourself, to feel that aspect of yourself. You might merge with it. You might just communicate with it. Um, It's not just like a one-question journey. It's more like an intention journey to go and meet this aspect of yourself and really be with it and allow the meeting of this aspect of yourself in the journey to trigger the kind of memory of it in your being, in your body, in your energy body, in your awareness. Okay. So I hope that makes sense. I'm not sure how well I explained that, but anyway, I hope that makes sense. So, so this type of journey that I'm suggesting, so these are designed then to help you to reconnect the times in your life that you've been closest to your soul. Because there are archetypal moments in the passage through life that we are, we are connected to our soul. And um, so the first journey is to journey to your three-year-old self at the moment of realizing that you were a being of power, as I was just describing, utterly connected to everything, part of the great co-creation of things, not the, not the center of everything, but part of it. You're starting to see how energy exchanges You feel the dreaming moving through you and manifesting. I mean, not that you have language for this or words for this, but this is this moment that happens to every child sometime around three of really recognizing themselves as a being of power. It's a very important moment. And so you would go into the journey, ask your helping spirits to take you to this aspect of yourself, open all of your senses And really feel into this moment in your life and allow yourself to regain this memory from within, from within yourself, without the stories in your mind, but really allowing your body memory to be reignited by the journey. Because that memory has been damped down by the brain, which repeats stories incessantly. Right, And so you want to get out from underneath that and, and remember uh, something that you don't remember, this three-year-old self, somewhere around three, that really knew yourself as a being of power and, and to ignite your energy body memory, your physical body memory, your emotional body memory, your deeper mind memory, like your nervous system memory and your spirit memory of this time. So you want to embody that energy. and Well, you want to do this journey enough that you can actually embody this, this energy just purely through recall, like sitting in a meditation and recalling it. But anyway, my point is, as you do this, it will trigger all these other stories that challenge this truth, this truth of yourself as being of power. And that's part of the, what needs to be cleared to open the way for you to connect deeply with your soul. So you feel this feeling of this three-year-old self who's connected to his or her power, and then you notice what that brings up. What stories does that bring up to challenge? What beliefs does that bring up that challenge that deeper, more fundamental truth? Ask yourself, if I were to live 
with a knowing of this energy as the only truth about power, none of these other stories I'm carrying, but this truth, who would die? You know, what would be so bad if I lived this from this place? And so you do this again and again in journeys and meditations until you can feel this first sense of being in your power, in your sovereignty, in your dominion, without any internal arguments. And then you want to securely place that sense that awareness in your Dantian, in your root chakra, root chakra, second chakra area, deep, deep in. And replace this knowing of yourself as a being of power and sovereignty and dominion into your energy body there. In your lower, in your lower, um, your lower heaven, in your Dantian. So that's journey one. So journey two, same setup, different time. So this is going to be different for different people. It's different for boys and girls. It's different given your family and the setup of your childhood. But you're going to journey to you somewhere 9, 10, 11 years old, somewhere in that time frame. Um, And this is a part of yourself who knew why you were here. Now, it it doesn't come out as this great, um, you know, knowing like we would expect from a grown-up. But it's more this sense of knowing um, I'm going to be this. I'm going to do this in the world. I mean, an aspect of my knowing at that time, interestingly, was that I wouldn't have children. And everybody talked me out of that. Everybody told me I was wrong, but they didn't understand that this understanding that my creative energy needed to be directed in birthing something else entirely or I would never get it birthed. They didn't understand that this was an authentic knowing from this time that I wouldn't have children, among other things. So the point is these are strong knowings that end up being true if we live our true life. We knew it at this time. And then, of course, for all of us, adolescence happened and we lose track of absolutely everything and everybody feels like a misfit and it's it's lost for a while. But the point is, pre-teen, before all of this, there was a time in which we knew why we were here. We were very close to our soul because we didn't – and we don't know this in a practical sense, right? We know it in a kid's sense. And this is, this is a knowing that's awakening in us our heart memory before we have any practical understanding of what it's going to take to do that, um, how hard it's going to be, how much it's going to cost, how much is going to be in our way. I mean, there's none of that thought at that time. There's just the feeling of this energy wanting to move through us and we know what it is. We recognize it for what it is. So it's the same thing. She so wanted to journey to that young self who knew why you were here. And again, open all your senses, really feel into this energy. Allow yourself to gain this memory from within, from your nervous system, from your body, from your emotional body, um, from your energy body, right? Without the stories of your mind, but let it come out from the inside out. And just like we did before, embody this energy and notice what stories come up to challenge it, right? And ask yourself, okay, great, but who's going to die if I do this, 
right? And, and really, really work, notice what arises, notice the beliefs that arise. Those are the things that need to be cleared and you do it again and again and again until you can feel this sense of purpose and meaning in your life. And then you place this awareness in your heart. And then we move on to the third journey. And this timing is a little bit trickier because now it's starting to be different times for different people based on your life story. Um, it, gets, it gets more and more challenging to give everybody a target time as we get older. But you want a journey to the age when you first imagined taking your dreams of yourself out into the world. And ideally, this is going to be an age when you first imagined it and began to speak of it and were supported by someone. It may be a totally random individual in your life. Like for me, one of these people was an AP English teacher in high school. Totally random. Um, But that kind of support which was very annoying challenging support but it was support nonetheless and it it came in at a time when I was trying to really speak of of bringing myself out in the world so you want to journey to that time whenever that was for you it's going to be sometime in your late teens early 20s and open all your senses, really feel into it, allow yourself to gain a memory from within without the stories you have about this and really get to that sense of self you don't remember, right? And then as you embody that energy, notice the stories it brings up, notice things that arise to challenge, notice the beliefs that contradict it, and those are the things that you need to clear. And you do this again and again until you can really feel this first sense of your vision. And you place that awareness in your mind. But place it in your mind in a place that is sacred. Place it where it won't be churned in with all the other thoughts of the day. But find a sacred place in your mind for that which must not be touched by the daily machinations of the prattling on brain. But the altar of your mind, the sacred space of your mind, where that which is true and right rests, place it there. So now, if you've done all of these journeys, um, you'll done, you will have done them enough then to restore these energies. Um, and so you, you have this situation then created inside of yourself where you have restored a sense of power and dominion from your own experience to your root chakra. You've restored your heart memory of why you are here based on your own experience. And in this way, you'll have restored this memory in your heart chakra. And you will have restored the sense of your power to dream your own life and be supported in that dreaming based on your own experience. And then you will have restored that to your mind, to the sacred space of vision and this inner clarity place of the sixth chakra. And then you link all of these centers on your truth cord, the cord of truth that runs from the highest power of the universe down through your body and connects down into the center of the earth, right, through all your chakras. So now they're all connected. So in this way, you've restored your relationship with the times that you have actually connected with your soul. And then you can begin to reforge this as a working relationship because you can tune in to this place now and begin to relate to your soul. 
So you cultivate this relationship with these energies as they line up on your truth cord and you can begin to hear your soul as a respected voice in the movements and thoughts and the choices of your day. And as you begin to listen to your soul as one of your trusted inner voices, then you will begin to create a life um, of what I call the vitality paradox. (laughs) I didn't Google it to see if anybody else has a vitality paradox, but it's my vitality paradox. And so what happens as you begin to live in this way with all these things happening is you live in a way that any day is a good day to die. And in living in that way, you are creating a life you dearly do not want to die from. And for me, this is the vitality paradox. The more fully I embody this paradox in my life of living in a way that any day is a good day to die and and loving the life that's getting created so I don't want to die out of it, it just creates more and more vitality that I have then to live the life. And so the side benefit of all of this is that you will most likely see a marked rise in your sense of humor, particularly in your ability to laugh at yourself. And with this comes much, much gratitude for life and an understanding of our responsibility for it. And finally, this ability to feel the responsibility for your soul's purpose without feeling crushed by the weight of that responsibility. So I promised that I would address the cultural issues that compound our fear of living just to be sort of in a place of full disclosure. And these are the things uh, that make this issue of not being afraid to live well, um, make this issue worse than it was for first contact people who also had this issue. But it's, it's worse for us because of one, we have a lack of initiation from childhood to adulthood. And that means we drag this template of childhood fears into our adulthood and it really hobbles us. Um, We also have this, in America at least, this cultural mismessage about your need to cultivate your energy body and clear past energy regularly. Um, we somehow have this belief of, you know, perpetual growth. We can just keep consuming everything and not let go of anything and just keep going as if that is some kind of sustainable way of living. So that doesn't work. And that compounds this fear of death, fear of letting go. And then we have unresolved ancestral patterns that also didn't live well and had a great fear of death. And so this compounds, compounds all of that. But the fact that your culture has failed you does not mean that you have to fail yourself. So while I acknowledge these larger cultural issues and work with them every day in my practice, they are not an excuse to be afraid to live your life fully, to live your life with picking up your responsibility and without apology. So I actually never thought that I would quote Hunter S. Thompson, but here we go. We need to develop an attitude that understands we are here to use this life, to live our soul's purpose fully and freely and without apology, with great awareness of interconnection and the need for sustainability and um, understanding our human place in this great web of life that we are not supposed to be the dominator species. But with that, We must be willing to 
live with this balance of beauty and risk. So life, this is Hunter, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body. But rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, whoa, what a ride. So, live your life. Don't be afraid. Take the risks necessary to create the life that has meaning for your heart. You will be amazed to see that, what that does for your anxiety. And so remember in all of this, the message we got from the teacher about sovereignty and supreme power to govern yourself, that this was going to be the big issue and because we've learned to be afraid of our own power. The sense that we have supreme power terrifies most people because we witness abuse and misuse of power every day at home and around the world. And it is that fact that your supreme power carries with it your supreme responsibility to govern yourself, your energy, your thoughts, your choices, your physical health. It just, it scares us, but it need not. So what do you do when the all day, everyday person of power responsibility gets to be too much? What do you do when this whole living a life uh, fearlessly gets to be too much? What you do is your practice. This is where your practice really comes in. Your practice is for silence, for solitude, for yin cultivation. When all of this gets to be too much, don't regress. Don't retreat into old ways that don't work. But simply drop into your practice. And for some of us, we need to drop into music, dance, or art, not for the purpose of others at all, but simply to express yourself to yourself. So when it all gets to be too much to live in this way that is fearless and challenging and risk-taking, we always have the refuge of our practice and and the respite, the restoration of simply expressing ourself to ourself. So I'm going to close with a poem translated by David Ladinsky in I Hear God Laughing. And this is uh, attributed to Hafiz, a divine invitation. You have been invited to meet the friend. No one can resist a divine invitation that narrows down all our choices to just two. We can come to God dressed for dancing or be carried on a stretcher to God's ward. So may you all dress for dancing this week. We give thanks to our ancestors and all who have gathered around us here today, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone.